0: Welcome, my name's Cody, serve as one of the elders here, and it is a joy to be with you on this freezing cold day, praise God for heat, this is nice, this is nice, Um, this is the the class on the book of Proverbs that we just started last week, so if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back, um, listen to that first one, Uh, our brother Daniel Stevens really broke down the high value of wisdom uh, for us, which is a great starting and launch point into uh, this whole book of Proverbs. And today we will, uh, Lord willing, tackle the subject of the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. So if you don't have a handout, they're back on the, the easel back there behind Josh, um, so you feel free to grab one. Let me pray, and then we will we'll dive right in. Father, we come to you as your people, as those that you've created, as uh, yeah, your creatures. Father, you are the high and mighty and lifted up one. You are the the triune God who is holy and just and, and good and humble and righteous and near and present. Father, you are unimaginable and beyond our comprehension. And Father, today as we open up your word, help us to glean just a little picture of you. Help us to know what it is to fear you. Lord, may it not just be a term that we use and hear, but may it be a term that actually impacts our life. So we ask that you would move in this time and for your glory and our good in Christ's name, Amen. Okay, the fear of the Lord. I don't know if that term, when I say fear of the Lord, what comes to mind in your head. Um, it might. You might conjure up pictures of of a God who is a father who demands perfection and you just can't attain that, this harsh picture of God. Maybe it conjures up a picture of of even parents who demand perfection and they tell you to fear the Lord, fear the Lord. So whatever that picture is for you as you come in here when you hear fear the Lord, my hope today is that we we will unpack that, not from what I believe, what I think, but from what the Bible has to say, specifically Proverbs, and then we'll expand out to the rest of Scripture. The, the, fear, the word fear in our, in our world is a, is a prominent uh, word. Uh, you don't have to go very far to, to fear or to be around things that are intended for you to fear. You know, the, the market is going to crash. You better cash out all your assets and hide in a hole. You hear that often. Maybe not in those words, but you hear that often. Uh, We even hear it in in modern day video games, which are very worldly, but they tell you, you know, the zombie, the apocalypse, the end times, it's coming. So you better fear, be scared. There's this constant low level fear and anxiety that is driven by the world into our lives, into the lives of our kids. The world is, is very much against us to fear the Lord. It wants us to fear, but to fear God wrongly. It wants us to fear other things in the world. And wants us to fear lesser things, to take the place of the fear of the Lord. Often uh, when, we're, when we're told to fear and, and we are gripped by fear, whatever that, whatever that object of, the, of fear is, we often are stirred with anxiety. We want to go and just anxiously try to control things because things seem out of control. Or possibly we don't want to deal with our anxiety and so we start to numb it by pursuing other things that just make us comfortable. I don't have to think about this thing anymore. You know, God created us in his image. And he said that we, as his, his creation, were very good. And in God's very good creation, he created us to, to think and have thoughts and beliefs. He created us to have affections and feelings. And he also created us with the faculty and ability to make commitments towards action and often, feelings, uh, maybe in, in some Christian cultures, are seen as like the bad guy. I'm here to tell you that it is a very good thing to have feelings. Right-ordered feelings are a gift from God, and it's in his good creation how he created us to be. So fear, uh, that feeling or feelings in general, can be used uh, to, to glorify God in our lives. So to, as, a, as a fun way to kind of get us engaged and get going, I want to run through a little bit of an exercise with you guys. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss out some random scenarios, uh, hypothetical scenarios. I want you to act as if these are actually happening, as hard as that may be, that you're actually involved in this situation. And I just want you to call out, after I finish saying the scenario, I want you to call out what you think the appropriate uh, feeling would be in that scenario, okay? Does that make sense? So when I call it out, you just feel free to call out that, the feeling that you think is most appropriate. First one. Right here, a grizzly bear just walks into the room. Dis- <laughs> <laughs> Not a feeling, but yes, absolutely true. Absolutely. What feeling's is appropriate? Terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. What else? Anyone else? Similar, somewhere along the lines of terror, dread, <laughs> fear. Yeah. Shock. How about this one? You're, you're woken up in the middle of the night to, to shattered glass downstairs. The appropriate feeling? Okay. Yeah. What else? Confusion, mm-hmm. anxiety. Yeah. Anger. An- anxiety, yeah. Okay. How about this one? You get a notice on your phone that your bank account has been drained. Josh, how do you feel about that? <laughs> All right, one more example. We could keep going in this fun game, but one more. You're ushered into God's presence. What's the appropriate feeling. What's that? Fear? Fear. Okay. Aw. Yeah. Reverence. Reverence. Great. It's great. Yeah. I mean, there's many words we could fill in there. Um, what is the difference in our feelings and our response? between a grizzly bear walking in and being ushered into the, to the presence of God Almighty. This is really at the basis of the question we're trying to answer. I hope for the remainder of the time is really to unpack this idea of fear, and specifically the term fear of the Lord, uh, in order for us to understand what is the fear of the Lord. That's our first question we'll just seek to answer. And then secondly, really, what does it have to do with me? Like how does it actually impact my life? Is it just this word that's used and tossed around? You know, fear God, fear God, or does it actually have an impact in my life? So in your handout, you'll see the, the first section there, fear of the Lord. In, in Proverbs alone, it is used 19 times, the term fear of the Lord. It is a prominent theme. Um, it's, it's, it's all over. We're going to read a bunch of scripture, as you can see there, a bunch of, uh, starting the first, first part, all in Proverbs. There's not 19 verses, but there's a lot. So I'm going to ask a bunch just to go ahead when I, we get to that point. Just, just be ready to read those, those scriptures for us. Again, what we're going to try to do is to pull out components of the fear of the Lord, what Proverbs says about it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to move from Proverbs out to the rest of scripture to see what it actually looks like in the t- context of people and stories. And then we'll hopefully work down to that working definition, to some idea... Of what the fear of the Lord is before we jump to the application, so that's the way we're going to go about it this morning. So, what is the fear of the Lord? What does Proverbs have to say about it? Someone want to grab uh, Proverbs one seven and Proverbs nine ten, and then you can see ahead how we're going to go through this each line by line there. So, feel free to jump ahead um, and get ready to read as well. So. Proverbs 1 7 and then Proverbs 9 10. So when you're ready, go ahead and read for us. The fear
1: of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Great, thank you. In 9 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight.
0: Yep. Great, so to get you engaged, I had blanks there. I think you can fill that one pretty easily. It's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. We heard a little bit about this last week when Daniel was teaching as well. It's the beginning of, of knowledge and wisdom. About Proverbs 14, 27 and 8.13 and 16.6. Fear the Lord is a fountain of life, that one
2: may turn away from the snares of death. Thank you. 813. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and
0: arrogance,
3: evil behavior and perverse speech. Mm
0: -hmm. And 16.6.
2: By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil.
0: Great, thank you. So it is the fountain of life, it is the hatred of evil, and it is the way one turns from evil. It's a lot of things. A lot of things. So, Side note here, you'll, you'll see this uh, throughout and even in the next section here, um, the, the next question, what, uh, how is it shown? If you are currently or you've been in, in the past noticing in your life uh, a slowness to turn from evil, to turn from sin, there's just a, either an apathy or it's just taken a long time, I'll just propose this question. Could it be that your fear of the Lord has waned in light of lesser fears in your life that have gripped you, that have taken control of that area in your life. I've noticed that that is, is often the case with me. How is it shown? How is it shown? So uh, let's look down uh, Proverbs 3, 7 and Proverbs 14, 2.
4: Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. Okay.
0: Thank you. 14, 2.
2: Whoever walks in uprightness, fear the Lord. But he who is devious.
0: Thank you. So shown by what? Turning from evil? Mm-hmm. And demonstrated by walking in uprightness In righteousness and holiness and purity. What benefits does it give? What does Proverbs tell us? What are the benefits to actually walking in the fear of the Lord? What's, what's Proverbs 10 27 tell us? The
2: fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of life...
0: Prolongs life. That's interesting. <laughs> prolongs life. What about fifteen twenty six? Twenty
1: six
0: or sixteen? Uh, sorry, fifteen sixteen.
1: Yeah. Better is a little of the fear of the Lord than great treasure in trouble with
0: it. Yeah, a little of the fear of the Lord is better than riches. It's better than anything here on this, this earth. It's better than anything the world wants to give us. Just a little bit of it. What about Proverbs nineteen twenty three?
4: The fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. You will not be visited by heart.
0: Yeah. Satisfying rest. Satisfying rest in the fear of the Lord. I don't know if those of you who struggle with sleep sometimes. Satisfying rest sounds nice. Sounds real nice. 22.4.
2: The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life.
0: Yeah. The idea that it's rewarded. It is rewarded. There's a reward to pursuing, to walking in the fear of the Lord. What about Proverbs
2: 28.14? Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always.
0: Whoever his heart will fall to your lament. That's right. Um, leads to blessing. There is blessing in the fear of the Lord. What about Proverbs 31, 30? Deserving of praise. This idea that the fear of the Lord is attractive, it is beautiful, it is deserving of praise, it is high above other things in life, even beauty, even riches, as we've read about before, even charm. These are all great benefits, fantastic, but how does one get it? We all like to think in in methods. How do you actually attain the fear, fear of the Lord? Proverbs 2 sheds a little light on uh, on that, verses 4 and 5. Who wants to read that for us?
3: And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will
2: understand the fear of the Lord and find the
0: knowledge of God. Yeah. So is it easy? Is it easy to find? I don't know about you. I've never found silver um, when I've looked for it, which is maybe once in my life. But I've still never found it. It's like finding something hard and difficult. It takes diligence. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes persistence and perseverance. Um, it's, you can kind of get this concept, it takes time, like over a lifetime, if you will, of trying to pursue this and find it, cultivate it, walk in it. It, is, it takes time. So we could pull out other, other verses in Proverbs. These give kind of a, a little bit of, a, of an idea of what we're looking at. So here you can kind of imagine we're, we're looking at a, a diamond and that, those prisms of the light hitting it. We're trying to understand a little bit more about what is this fear of the Lord. What is it? And we can see it's beneficial. It's hard work. It is well worth the effort. And, and the Lord calls us to do it throughout Scripture. You'll see fear God, fear the Lord. And so he calls us to actually do it. It's a command. So it's good for us to know a little bit about the benefit, a little bit about where we're going. But this also doesn't really fill in for us in a a picture format what it actually is. What is the fear of of the Lord? And so what what I want to just chat with you for a moment about is is why do we fear? I think this is a helpful spot for for us to actually stop and and sit for a second. When you think of fear, fear is nothing in and of itself. It's not like we randomly fear. Uh, there is free-floating anxiety, but I would argue that usually comes most often rooted down from something uh, other inside your heart. But we don't randomly just, just fear. There's an object to our fear. Something is causing fear to us. And it's really uh, typically about losing something we love. Losing something we love or experiencing something bad. Take, for example, that first, first example of, of the grizzly bear coming in the door. What is it that would cause you fear when you actually drill down? Why are you fearful? Death. Death, yeah. So we can kind of flip that and say we love our life. We love the life of our friends and our family and our the members of this church. Like we would fear that grizzly bear walking in because we love life. You know, Psalm uh, Psalm 145, 19 and twenty um, actually equates the fear of the Lord. With love. It says, He, God, fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. So, fear Him, love Him are seen almost as synonymous. And throughout Scripture, you can't really take the two and separate them. They're not always the exact same, but you can't take love and fear and separate them apart. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses equates fear of God and love of God in his, in his summary of the law. So you're constantly seeing and reminded of these two go together. We, we fear because we love. Now, love is, is used a lot in these days. We love everything. <laughs> we, we love our, our dogs. I do love my dog. I, I love him. Uh, we, we love, we love uh, our work. We love our spouses. We love our friends. We love God. But are all those all equal that I just laid out? Is love of dog equal to love of God? I hope the answer is no. <laughs> it is not. So there's a spectrum, right? There's a, there's a spectrum of love that we're talking about when, when we use it. So it can be drained of its meaning. Um, but we really should focus on the object of our love. That's going to tell us more about, about, um, about our love. So in one way, the fear of God is really speaking about the way that we love God. Um, So you could actually uh, talk about it in that way, and Scripture seems to do so as well. So we fear because we love. That's not the only reason that we fear. We also fear, um, and this one's a little bit harder nowadays especially, we, we fear when we face the prospect of getting something magnificent. Something that is too... Uh, like it, it's unimaginable for us to actually have. There's a fear associated with this. Um, let me read uh, Jeremiah 33 7 through 9. You can go ahead and flip there with me if you have your Bibles. So turn to the right from Proverbs. Jeremiah 33. Uh, Jeremiah, we just get through the Lord instituting the, the new covenant in 31. Um, and here the word of the Lord comes to, to Jeremiah. We're looking at verses 7 through 9. The Lord says, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will, will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and glory before all the nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for them, and for it. Fear and tremble because of goodness, because of mercy. As we read about verse 7 and 8, the he's forgiving their iniquity. He is forgiving their sin. So there's a a call for us to fear not that which is imminently harmful to us, but also a call to fear that which is unimaginably good to us. And when we actually think about the gospel in our lives, we think about our state uh, as sinners before a holy, perfect God and what he actually did for us. That's unimaginable. That is, that is the definition of of mind-blowing in this situation to know that a God can and does offer forgiveness to his creatures who rebel against him if they just turn from their sin and trust in him. That is good news, and it is, it should be overwhelming to us. And I will point out here, um, I think I talked about it later as well, the idea of trembling. Um, this is, uh, you can kind of look at that and be like, why would we tremble because of goodness. Why would we tremble before God if that's our state before him? And again, I think there's, God has created us uh, as, as embodied souls who experience thoughts, feelings, and, and the commitments to action. And there's this idea that we're, we can't separate those out and just hear something magnificent and not have some sort of reaction to it. Um, you see this throughout scripture. You see Isaiah 6, when Isaiah's in the uh, throne room, seeing he falls down, there is a, a physical reaction. To, uh, being in the presence of God. So although we may not talk about that idea of trembling or we don't tremble necessarily in service, I would say that there is an appropriate physical reaction to hearing and understanding and meditating and chewing on this idea that God has granted forgiveness to us uh, in Christ. So we fear because the mercy and goodness of God is simply unimaginable. But you can uh, see how this fear might change depending on your relationship with God. So we have to make a kind of a disclaimer here, draw a line in the sand. Surely we can understand the difference between how a Christian ought to fear God and how an unbeliever might feel, uh, fear God. You know, um, let's, let's uh, flip over to Matthew 25. 24 and 25. Someone read, uh, so this is the parable of the talents. Um, three, three guys have been given different uh, amounts of talents to go, and, and, and um, now we, we pick up in verse uh, 24. Someone read 24 and 25 for us.
2: He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered. So I was afraid,
0: and I went and hid your town in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Yep. Great. And so later there you'll see the, the master responds, You're wick- you wicked and slothful servant. And that, that, uh, that phrase, uh, afraid, that word, is actually what we're talking about, fear. It's the same word used here. And so this idea that there's a perception, who, how you view God is going to determine how you fear God. So here, you, we, we are told right away in verse 24, um, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I ask you again, what is your view of God? How do you actually think about God when you sit down and meditate on who he is? Many things can influence our, our view of God, past experiences, experiences. Um, traumatic, difficult things that have happened in our life. There's a, there's a list we could go down. But how you view God is going to determine how you actually fear him, how you approach him, how you walk with him. It's going to impact, um, impact everything. You know, Martin Luther, um, he, he explains his time as a monk. He, he says this, Christ was depicted as a grim tyrant, a furious and stern judge who demanded much of us and, and imposed good works as payment for our sins. This makes us reluctant to go to him. If my conscience is stricken with fear, I feel sufficiently repelled. My heart and my bad conscience quite naturally shun him whom I fear. Fear and terror prod and goad me away from him so that I do not stay with him. Again, this idea that that when you view God as harsh, it is natural to move away. And so throughout Scripture, we're, we're about to go into the different types of fear in Scripture. You're going to see this contrast that are most uh, between two types, a sinful fear and a right fear of God. And you're going to see the main thing that, that demonstrates that in Scripture is whether we move toward God or we move away from God, toward God and away. And, and Luther, again, explaining that it starts with his view of God, his understanding of who he is. Um, it kind of gets back to that first uh, verse we read in Proverbs. It is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge of God. We want to know who God is in order to appropriately walk in the fear of Him. So two types of fear in scripture here. Um, I said sinful fear, right fear. There's many ways um, that people in the past that are much smarter than me have laid these out. This is not something new. You have John Flavel says sinful religious fear. George Swinnick says servile and filial fear. Uh, William Gurnall says slavish and holy. Bunyan says ungodly and godly. Um, One that I found really helpful, Ed Welch, uh, who works over at uh, CCEF, he says threat fear and worship fear. I think that descriptor is really helpful in kind of parsing out uh, understanding a little bit there. But again, the most noticeable aspect which separates the two types is the direction of the person's heart. Spurgeon uh, also uh, talks about that. He says that the, the right fear does not stand in tension with love of God, but rather right fear falls on its face before the Lord. It falls, the term that he uses, leaning toward the Lord. And it's not as if love draws near and fear distances. Sinful fear drives you away from God. And we talked about in an anxious toil and worry, numbing behaviors, whatever that looks like for you, but the, the direction is away you think of revelation you know they want the rocks to fall on their heads to hide them from the lamb this is they want to get as far away as they can they cannot deal with their sin in front of a holy god so this idea that the the um, sinful fear uh, points you away but godly fear right fear draws you near there's a there's an element that brings you into the presence of of god So let's. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna read. or have you guys read a couple of verses and really just lay out those two. Is this a sinful fear response or is this a right fear response? Sinful fear, right fear. Okay. Someone grab Genesis three ten for us. Someone else can also grab Isaiah six one through five. Someone else Genesis twenty eight ten through seventeen. And then lastly, Luke 7, 14 through 16. So again, there's many things that we can notice and talk through in each one of these verses. But specifically, is this a godly right fear or is this a sinful uh, fear? Okay. Someone who has Genesis 3.10, feel free to go ahead and read it. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I
3: was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, which one is it? Sinful Sinful fear, yeah. Sinful fear. Side note here, just to be clear, sinful fear is not just something that unbelievers uh, walk in and experience. Sinful fear is something we all experience to different degrees at different times. Um, We act in sinful fear because we still have remaining flesh in our body that is constantly pulling us away from God. Uh, we have the world, we have Satan, we have our flesh, all fighting against us until glory, when we will be made new, and that will no no longer be the the case. But this this pulling away from a Christian, uh, drawing us away, it's actually fake, in the sense it's drawing away. Uh, it's it's fake because we we are not that identity. Our identity is actually in Christ, so it's actually a um, it's an illusion, if you will. It's trying to draw us out just to sin, just to frustrate, just to Uh, wane our fear of the lord but when a a sinner who does not know god um, encounters god in light of his sin he should be dreadfully terrified dreadfully terrified but when a saint who knows god encounters god in light of his sin he should be utterly undone by god's mercy and grace offered to him do you see the difference the gospel just changes everything changes how we actually fear the lord um, the God, God does not change, <laughs> but our relationship with him, it, it changes for us. So now we can approach him in our sin because we have Christ there uh, pleading for us before the Father. And we can go in confidence to the throne to receive help in our time of need. Okay, who has uh, Isaiah 6? Again, right fear, uh, sinful fear.
1: Here back King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. When the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Hmm. Thank you.
0: Right fear, sinful fear. Right, yeah. Good fear, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, there is a, there's a reverence. There's a, definitely a, a physical reaction, but there is a um, falling toward the Lord in his presence, not fleeing from it. About Genesis 28, verses 10 through 17.
2: It left Hereshibah and went toward Aaron, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like, like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread it abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Hmm.
0: Thank you for reading. Sinful fear, right fear, right fear. These these are easy, I'm giving them pretty simple. Yeah, right fear. So you have this promise, promise to Jacob, and confirmed by in, in this dream, in this picture that he sees, and he wakes up and he's afraid. That same word fear, which again, in this culture, in this day and age, that would seem very odd. <laughs> He's afraid, he's fearful. But it's a fear that leads him to say, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. It's a fear toward the Lord. How about Luke 7? Last one here. Luke 7, verses 14 through 16. Then he went up and to do were in the law,
3: and the bearers to the be
0: he says, the Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. The great prophet who appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, that that word awe there translated in ESV, uh fear, same same word. Um fear seized them. They saw this miracle, they saw the work of God and healing. And they Glorify God. I gave you this one. It's it's the right fear. It's it's the good fear. Um, yeah. There's this there's this response from the crowd where they if they have reverence and awe and fear that doesn't move them away, doesn't shun them away or repel them, but draws them in more and more. Um, there's a there's a at the bottom of your your sheet you sh- under resources. I put a couple sermons just that were helpful for me as I was uh, doing some study on. Um, Spurgeon did one, uh, a fear to be desired, and I'm going to read you a quote uh, from him uh, in regards to what we're talking about here, the two different types of fear. He says, hence, fear is a word which has a very wide range of meaning, much like today. There is a kind of fear which is to be shunned and avoided, that fear which perfect love casts out, 1 John 4, because it hath torment But there is another uh, sort of fear which has in it the very essence of love, and without which there would be no joy even in the presence of God. Instead of perfect love casting out this fear, perfect love nourishes and cherishes it, and by communion with it, itself derives strength from it. Between the fear of a slave and the fear of a child, we can all perceive a great distinction. Between the fear of God's great power and justice, which the devils have, And that fear which a child of God has when he walks in the light with his God, there is as much difference, surely, as between hell and heaven. Again, two different kinds of fears that stem from how we view God, how we perceive God to be. Um, That's where we start, as we pinned that quote from Luther and his experience. It starts there, in the knowledge of God. And from the knowledge of God and how we view him, comes two different fears and reactions. And those play out throughout our life in different circumstances. Where we encounter God in a a time and season of of walking in sin, there's going to be a different reaction than when we're walking in the light and walking in in fearing him rightly. So you can look down at the uh, letter D under section 1. There's a working definition. This is Cody's working definition. (laughs) It is a hard term to, to actually try to gather and, and put together. But here's what, I, um, here's what I put down. The fear of the Lord is the Christian worshipfully moving toward God in response to God's full revelation of himself in Scripture, especially his goodness and provision in Christ. Now, the, the only reason that I added that last clause, especially his goodness and provision in Christ, uh, is because... What I've found and experienced in our day and age and in Christian culture, there's a different view of the fear of God that's only about his justice and his wrath. Do we view his, his justice and wrath with fear? Yes. But do we then not view his love and grace also with fear? We kind of tend to parse out certain characteristics of God and, and try to respond differently. When I, I think scripture categorically calls us to respond to God in the fear of the Lord, all of God who he reveals himself to be. John Murray, just to give you some other definitions, he defines the fear of the Lord as the soul of godliness. Uh, Michael Reeves, which I have these books up here for you to look at afterwards if you'd like, um, he de- defines this as true fear of God is true love for God defined. It is the right response to God's full-orbed revelation of himself in all his grace and glory. It's much better language than my working definition. Um, it's a whole person response. Uh, so even though fear is a feeling, we see throughout Scripture it's a whole person response. And by whole person, I'm talking about we start with our thoughts of God and our beliefs about who he is. And from that chamber of the heart, we move over to the feelings and affections, what that produces, of, of what we should feel before God, a fear of his... his uh, perfection of his holiness of his goodness of his grace of his mercy and from there that goes into the third chamber of the heart where we actually have commitments to action and desire and we move towards walking in obedience with the lord so it's not it's a whole person response to the whole revelation of god himself jeremiah uh, 33 9 which we read as I mentioned, indicates that trembling, and you see this throughout Scripture, is, is a normal response. And I, I had this question as I was talking to someone about this before. It, it was just weird in our culture to think of trembling, as I talked about. But I would be, don't be so quick to dismiss it. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely times when you might see someone coming from a different background, whether charismatic or whatever it may be, and you see physical reactions to Scripture read or a revelation of God through his preached word, whatever it may be, but don't be so quick to dis- dismiss it. Um, assume the best in those situations. That would be my counsel. Don't be quick to, to just harden your heart and be like, yeah, they're wrong. I think scripture actually paints a different picture that's more whole person in, in how we respond to God. It also doesn't mean that you should tremble all the time. So if you do that, you, you've heard me wrong on that matter. Any questions? I want to stop there before we get into the um, the section, more of the application. How should it impact us? Thoughts, questions. Yeah, Joey.
1: Yeah, with the um, with the working definition, mm-hmm. um, with the part about your Lord is the is the Christian worshipfully moving toward God. Yep. Do we see instances where non-Christians can rightfully? have a fear of the Lord? It's not, I know it wouldn't be like sustaining because they don't have a relationship with Christ. Yeah. But you know, I think of like Nebuchadnezzar and Darius seem to respond in the right way. But what we know historically, I don't know you can know, call them actually followers of the one true God. Yeah. So just trying to think through that. Um, could we see appropriate responses? Not a, like, not a fear one, but a worshipful one, and not Christian. Yeah. How would we use that in evangelism and talking
0: to him about that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think of a couple of examples. Even um, what what Garrett preached on last week, Simon the magician. We don't we don't know where he landed with his relationship to the Lord, but you think about how he was attracted to what was happening. Right or wrong, there was something there that drew him near. Um, I think in a you see this in most often conversions don't happen like this. You see it over time. You see the crowds following Jesus over time, listening to him. And then you see, you know, him demonstrate a miracle and, and conversion take place or whatever it may be. So I think um, personal examples I can even think of, of, of people that it just took a long time to come to know the Lord of, of time. sowing seeds, sowing seeds and eventually they came. So I definitely think there's a right response that changes over time. Um, yeah, that, that, uh, John 6, 44, only uh, God draws people to himself. So it's nothing that we do, uh, you know, on our own. He, it, it's, it's he that um, actually draws people. But um, yes, and I think the counsel that I would say is exactly what you said in evangelism. Like, take the, the idea of stoking those evidences of, of grace in those people's life. The Lord may seem to be working. Don't sit there and just kind of squash it. Um, so you're not a Christian. You should not feel this way. <laughs> Don't do that. No, when you hear those things in conversation, stoke those, ask questions, bring those up, um, and constantly try to reorient them to, to the gospel. Um, that's a really good, good question. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah.
3: So on the point, wisdom takes hard work. Um, yeah. That's like a little bit bumping into a way I've always thought of wisdom, so help me out. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm thinking mainly of the portrait of wisdom portrayed as a woman in Mm. Proverbs where she's like literally going out to the public places and screaming and sending her servants out to like call people, turn in here, turn in here. And it has just always seemed like it's not hidden. Mm. Um, It's not buried in the earth like silver might be. And when I read those passages about like treasure and seeking it like gold and silver, I thought those were more like statements of worth. Like Mm. the way you want silver or gold, you should want this. But yeah. as far as accessibility, it's not hidden from mm-hmm. you. It's standing in the street corner saying, come on right. in, you've a for you? um, And I don't necessarily feel like hard work to attain it is excluded. I guess I'm just trying mm-hmm. to sort this in my mind, hearing this and having thought that. Just yeah. how would you counsel those thoughts that I've had and this that you're now saying to like put together a right view of the pursuit of something.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think you're right. Those, those actually talk about the worth as well. Like there is worthy pursuit of those of, of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. I think um, what I was trying to get at is as, the, uh, as a Christian, a lifestyle of walking in obedience in the fear of the Lord is a constant. And we'll get in the application here. It's kind of a perfect segue. But like how do we do that and foster and cultivate that? Because it's not a one time like I see wisdom, it's mine. <laughs> you know, it's like it's over. Uh, how many times have we seen people... Uh, that we assume came to faith and the knowledge of, of God that have walked away. Um, and so, yes, I think you're, you're absolutely right. So I think those two can really go nicely together in that it, it is evident and plain. The Lord uh, desires all to be saved and he has laid the gospel out there and it's our job to go out and proclaim it and, 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 and spread the, the word. Uh, but there's a blindness, there's a, there's a hard-heartedness out there um, in the unbeliever. And I think... Um, That aspect also kind of goes with that idea of wisdom being hard and maybe not as plain to to some. Uh, But as the Christian I think that's how I would respond there. Yep. There was an article by John Piper. He talked about revelation. I think it was Piper. He
2: talked about revelation. General revelation and specific revelation. In general revelation he says that you you can look at creation and you can see the order in it but you can't look at creation and be like Jesus is my savior. Mm -hmm. And then specific revelation is the spirit showing you Christ is the Spirit. I don't know if that helps or not, but, you know. oh, yeah.
0: Uh, I think when it comes to the fear of the Lord, and grace. So Psalm 101 talks about mm-hmm. like where there's forgiveness of fear, and there's fear of the Lord. It's actually kind of weird in my own life. I think when I understood more of the forgiveness of God, these are greater fear. fear. Yeah. And then when it comes to unbelievers, I mean Jonah. Mm-hmm. So he was a backstabbing Christian and mm-hmm. then a believer and the other sailors feared
4: God mm. even when he didn't. Yeah. And he said that he feared God. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, there, there are definitely instances where as in unbelievers can have
2: a
1: general fear of God. Absolutely. Even better yeah. than Christians. Right.
0: right. Josh?
1: Yeah. I would say one, one of the things, so um, <clears throat> recently we, we heard about Solomon and asking for wisdom. Right. So Solomon had that wisdom, so I think that came pretty easily to him. I don't think it comes as easily to us, necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, Scripture does tell us that we should ask for wisdom. But just the fact that he had that wisdom did not, did not guarantee that he was going to walk the remainder of his life in the fear of the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of goes back to the comment you made earlier about how, you know, if, if you find it challenging to turn away from your sin, mm-hmm. it's likely that the fear of the Lord has begun to wane. And I think that's the aspect of, that wisdom in our lives requires a bit of work, requires a bit of effort on our part to, um, to continue to fear the Lord, to yeah. continue to remind ourselves that He is who He is, and we are who we are, and our decisions that we make affect, um, yeah, just whether or not we're going to, whether or not we fear Him is going to determine whether or not we're going to step into sin, or whether or not we're going to turn quickly from it earth or repent, so I think, yeah, yeah. Like, just looking at Solomon as an example, yeah. his wisdom was not yeah. an antidote,
0: Right? Yeah, that's really good. That's good. Okay. Um, let's talk just for a few minutes here about application. How should it impact us? As I said, this is a term that I have, if I'm just I'm going to confess to you, I have haphazardly used in the past. I have counseled people fear God without really understanding what I'm talking about. So it is helpful... Uh, for us to, number one, know what we're actually saying, um, and, then, and then to unpack how it's going to apply to people. So I think an awareness of God, his, his justice, his holiness, his humility and grace, his nearness, his sovereignty, his purity, his unchangeableness, his, uh, his otherness, if you will, these are things that are needed to stoke a right fear of God, uh, which really draws us toward Toward him rather than repels us from him and so it leads us to the first part um, letter a there how should it impact us have a god-centered hermeneutic have a god-centered hermeneutic hermeneutic really is our interpretation understanding of scripture how we read scripture um, and so have a, a lens on your eyes of god awareness when you read scripture and and Specifically, what I'm getting at here is the tendency. I know that I feel often, and I have talked to many who I think feel the same way, is jumping to quickly like, "How does this apply to me? Like, what do, what do, what can I get today when I open Scripture? How do what, what's what's my manna today that I, I can I can get? Which I don't think is a wrong question, um, but I do think the best way, and I would argue for transformation of of, of the heart is to start by beholding the God who has revealed himself. Amen. And so I think having that hermeneutic when we come to scripture, rather than just how should it apply to me, let's start with who is actually this God. And let's, let's take notes of that and let's unpack that more and more. Yeah?
4: This last night I was talking with a, uh, a man who's done counseling for, for decades, and he said that his normal approach to start with people was, okay, do you believe that, you know, do you, do you believe God is is God, and then if they say yes, okay, do you believe that the Bible is 100% God's word, mm. and do you commit to do what it says, and they'll say yes, yeah. and then, okay, they've got the basis then for any counseling they're going to go through with somebody, then follow up and say, okay, well, you you know, we're going to we see what the, the whole scripture says mm-hmm. and you you know i have you on record basically that you you, you want this yep. and i'm going to remind you of that when maybe your will is in conflict with with what's laid out here you're you're not in that case, like it is not my counsel, you're going against. Like we, we've laid out in Scripture, you can see it for yourself, and you need to weigh. Okay, do I really yeah. believe that? Right. I think that's a that's a good application of what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. God-centered hermeneutic.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thanks, David. I think the it's a good place to start. It's the first place we I think we must start. Um, in all reality. Okay. Secondly, there meditate on the character of God. Um, in other words. Don't just fly through your reading plan. By the way, how are you doing in your reading plan? That's just another question. Um, What is it? January 16th. So, um, Tuck that away. But uh, how how are you pausing and taking time and thinking and meditating on God? How are you chewing on the richness of God's revelation of himself? Um, When's the last time you took... You know, a section like Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Taking just that and just sitting in it, thinking about it, parsing that out of how God has revealed himself. When's the last time you've done something like a deep dive like that, rather than, you know, a topical deep dive into something else. Again, not to say that that's bad, but when's the last time you've done this? Um, When's the last time you've just constantly been thinking and memorizing uh, verses that tell you about the character of God? Just encourage you uh, to to take some time and do that. Letter C there. Stir and be stirred up by gathering. Specifically thinking of Hebrews 10. 24 and 25. The uh, the fear of the Lord is attractive, and it is not, um, Scripture is not written specifically to individuals. It's written to a people. It's a communal book, and so as such, the fear of the Lord is a communal thing that we, we have together, that we share with one another. You know, to walk into this room, this room, and then walk into the to the main hall during service, to look around, knowing some people's story of what they've gone through, how the Lord has saved them, how the Lord has, has grown them, and to say, like, the Lord's done that. He's done that. That, that elevates my soul <laughs> to look at God and say, that is amazing. It's amazing. It stirs my affections. Uh, sitting under the, the preach word of God as it drops, as it cuts, as it slices, as it corrects, as it trains, as it equips you, as it comforts you, that raises my countenance to the Lord. It raises it away from my own navel to to the Lord. Seek out ways to stir one another up uh, in the fear of the Lord. I think a great way of this is to see in your conversations, listen for the ways that uh, that others are being grown uh, by God in their faith. And to highlight those. Make sure they see them. Make sure you go, hey, just want to let you know that that's not normal. That's not a normal thing that, that happens in the world. Like, God seems to be working in your life, and I just want to encourage you with that. Stir up this encouragement, which leads to a fear of God. Lastly there, discipline yourself. Discipline yourself. This gets a little bit to the, to the hard work um, that we were talking about before. If, if I'm being honest with you, I don't feel the fear of the Lord a lot. Like, I don't feel like this insatiable, like, drawing near all the time, this insatiable, yeah, this, this thing that draws me in. But that doesn't leave me uh, an excuse to not walk in obedience or walk in uprightness. Um, often in our culture, feeling is king. It's how you feel. In fact, it's our language. Like, how you feeling? I use that all the time. Have you ever caught yourself? It's the word we use all the time. How you feeling? You know, uh, how did that make you feel? It's constantly on our tongue. It is kind of king and queen in our, in our uh, country, in our world. So it's, it's easy to, when those feelings go out, when the feelings aren't there, when the lights get turned out in your heart, to just kind of melt and not know what to do my encouragement is continue to be faithful in your actions in your thoughts in reading scripture and then ask the Lord, plead with the Lord to give you the appropriate feelings in his due time. Continue to do that. Um, Don't think that just because you don't feel something that it's not there. That's a a lie and it's not true. Unfortunately, many are are buying into that lie these days. Just a two-part question. How do
2: you encourage your spouse and your spouse encourage you and and that same thing and then also your family as a as a team you know husband and wife how do you encourage your family to do that uh, that wisdom even if you have children who are maybe too young to understand or to ask what it means to turn away from
0: sin and turn to Christ yeah that's a great question it's a big question (laughs) I can say I'll start by saying we have three girls so there's a lot of feelings (laughs) <laughs> to that. Is
2: there, like, I guess it's more, is there a, like practical
0: thing to do, like yeah. weekly to get together family or something to Yeah, yeah but we, the aim is, is uh, several times each week that we're doing family devotions of some sort together. They're not perfect. Uh, I've, I've mapped out what this next semester looks like, of what I'm going to be talking with them about, and what songs we're going to be singing, things like that. I don't always stick to it. Things happen, late schedule, whatever it may be. Um, kids going, uh, using their feelings in inappropriate ways. Um, so I think that's one thing of just planning and, and just trying to be faithful with what the Lord gives you each day, doing that. Um, I think great opportunity, uh, I think Brittany, my wife, does this really well, is taking those opportune times when, when there is sin um, to, to use it as that little teachable moment. Um, and often the other girls are around and they can hear and, and teaching them what are, what's practically what it looks like to have humility and go before someone and ask for forgiveness and, and um, yeah, I think in a larger part what we try to, to what I try to do is to just talk about God <laughs> if there's something simple and the biggest encouragement I can say is, is don't make it so morally based that it's about actions constantly bring it back to who God is try to always bring it back we do this because this is who God is, and this is what He says for us to do. It comes from a God who is good and who knows all things, and He's He's near. He He wants to draw you in close. You know, describe God. Use those opportunities to to really um, to talk. And to sure there's lots of other. Yeah, do you have anything? And just on the yeah. family worship thing, we did yeah. a
2: whole lesson on that. Yeah. Brian Davis recently, and it's on the on the podcast. It's great. Yeah, I that's
0: great.
1: To,
2: it's
0: on that. so. Absolutely, that's great. Yeah. So um, at the bottom there, some resources, some books. I have the books up here if you want to just check them out, um, see what they look like. Um, uh, I would encourage you. Those were really helpful for me. Specifically, Michael Reeves' Rejoice and Tremble really is a summary of many of those other books that are older and harder to understand often, Um, but uh, happy to stay around also and chat with you. But uh, let me just uh, pray for us, uh, and then we'll, we'll end our time together. Father, we, we thank you, we praise you for being a God who has revealed himself. Lord, we would be lost without you. We would be like the man in, in 1 John roaming around in the darkness, not knowing where to go because the light has not been turned on, Lord, but you in your mercy and grace have turned the light on in our hearts. Father, we praise you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that we can know you and that you want us to know you. So, Lord, would you help us to rightly fear you, to rightly walk in uprightness, to rightly understand wisdom and to pursue it? Lord, help us to help one another, to encourage one another in this area. Lord, may we we be a church who is known by their humble uh, walk with the Lord, how they see you as mighty and glorious and one who wants Sinners to come to repentance and to know him. So, Lord, may it be so among us. May our evangelism grow because of how we fear you. May we turn from sin quickly uh, because of our fear for you. May we have delight and joy in your presence because of our fear for you, Lord. So, we thank you. We ask that you would bless us in Christ's name.
2: Amen.